Alright, so this is the first episode of Minor League Banter. Uh, I am A Wallace 39 on Twitter. I love Taylor Chorney, and I enjoy uh, <laughs> throwing out really insane takes about hockey that 99% of my followers don't agree with. And then... And I'm at R. Fongheiser. You can just call me Ryan. I'm basically an Andy Shadow, so that's about it. Yeah, I guess uh, we'll just kind of jump into it and just start talking about... Uh, we're trying to make this a a all-around NHL podcast. We don't want to stick with just the Capitals. We want to make sure that we're kind of covering everything else. But I guess given that we're Caps fans and this is the first time we're doing this, we're, we're going to jump directly in the Capitals. Uh, Capitals news, Capitals... They're also the reigning... Yeah. They're also the reigning Stanley Cup champions, so it's very yeah, easy to yeah. Do that so as well. I'm I'm sorry, we're we're not jumping into just the Capitals. We're jumping into the reigning uh, 2018 Stanley Cup champions. Um, just wanted to add that little note there. But so <laughs> the uh, big topic, I guess, that any reigning Stanley Cup champion faces is how are you going to fit your team under the cap going forward? Usually, um. Whenever a team wins, they experience some pretty tight cap crunches. But I almost want to say that the Capitals experienced that last season when we lost in the second round, as we always do. Um, yeah, the Capitals in general normally are very close to the, the cap, so yeah, it's nothing so, new here. And, and I guess the good thing about it is uh, I think the, the players that really shouldn't be coming back as much as it sucks to say. I think their contracts ran out um, at the right time in, you know, you have Chase on uh, as much as I'm, I'm sure people would hate to hear this, but you also have Smith Pelly and Jay Beagle. You have those guys that they really did help out the team, but I think that their contracts running out at this time, I mean, they, while they might not have seemed like a lot of money um, collectively, you know, it, it, it brings in another two to three million dollars of, of cap space that they can they can then reach off to another player. Um, so that, that yeah. Oh, sorry. What I was going to say was we asked a couple of people beforehand some questions that they wanted to ask on the show, and this was actually one of the topics that was asked by uh, at Joe's Mansking, and specifically he asked if we should focus more on resigning Beagle or DSP. And I think Andy and I both kind of agree that both of those probably don't need to be brought back next year as much as everyone likes them. They're both fan favorites at this point. But the the cap space is too tight and paying $2 million again for Beagle, and that's kind of pushing it, I guess, since he won a cup. And then however much DSP would want for two fourth lines, I don't think that's worth it at all, personally. Yeah, I think, and, and this kind of brings in a... a interesting element so you've got jay beagle who i mean he's a workhorse he's been with the caps for you know what 10 years now um he's, he's slowly worked his way through the ranks and last season he was making uh 1.75 million which is you know that's great for him um kind of reminds me of jason chimera uh how he had that that breakout season obviously it didn't end on a high note but in terms of personal achievement he ended with want to say like 20 goals uh, so kind of comparable to that uh came off of a a really a high note personally 
and I think he was making around two million. We all thought, you know, he's gonna go out and get super paid, and at the end of the day, he made, I think, maybe five hundred thousand dollars more. So, if you apply that to Jay Beagle, let's say, you know, he, he gets he gets an extension. I, I feel like for fourth liners, I'd almost say it's more job security now as opposed to getting the super uh, big paydays, especially with the way the salary caps went. And... Yeah, the, the one thing I can say about Jay Beagle is that I know he's like absolutely in love with Washington. I mean, that's why he's been here for most of his career. Not that he had that big of a name, but he's a fan favorite. He loves the city. Uh, I mean, the one argument I can bring for – uh, or give for bringing him back is the fact that his faceoff percentage, like as much as I knocked Beagle throughout the season about how kind of worthless his contract is, like when he was out that w- one playoff game, we, we won like no faceoffs. So I can't remember the exact statistic, but it was terrible. So unless we find someone that can replace him like that or train this off season on faceoffs, he, that is something that will absolutely be missed. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's funny. It, I feel like the, some of the players with the best face-off percentages are those those fourth-line guys because they need to find something that kind of helps them stick out. Um, and this is yeah. just me bringing in a personal favorite of mine. I was a big David Steckel fan. Uh, he was consistently top five in the league in face-off percentage, but outside of that, it, it, he didn't really bring much, which is you know one of the reasons he never really stuck around. Uh, Jay Beagle, on the other hand, and, and this, this season it was kind of hard for him because he got deployed so poorly. So, you know, he got just destroyed in his own zone night in and night out. But I think maybe 30% of the time he was being deployed outside of the defensive zone, which you you just can't, you can't really prosper when you're getting those kind of deployments. Um, Yeah. I mean, he was strictly like defensive based. There was no, he, he was not really deployed in a way that he was going to generate many points the season yeah which i mean i don't really blame trots for doing that because beagle helped us in so many ways in that area that honestly it was kind of worth it in a way that there's obviously the downsides to it but statistically it was awful but i hate this i hate to use the word intangible but it actually did help us a lot in my yeah, opinion yeah I, I think and and face-offs you know i face-offs kind of are one of those things the people, a lot of the advanced analytics community don't really weigh much into face-offs. And it's kind of like the plus-minus uh, ordeal as well. And I, I guess I'm, I'm kind of with them um, to an extent. I think it's nice to have somebody you can lean on when you're taking that defensive zone face-off with 20 seconds left in a, you know Game 5 Stanley Cup clincher. But over a long haul... If, if you've got a guy that's winning 52% of his face-offs and a guy that's winning 60%, if, if you're really relying on that to be that game-changer, I don't know if... I don't really know if your team is, I guess, up to par, if, if it can really hang in general, because you should be able to win games elsewhere. I guess that's what I'm trying to get at. But... Agreed. I guess to, so we can kind of move on to another topic. I, to answer Joe's question, if I were to choose between Beagle and DSP, I would most likely say Beagle because 
Um, he's going to be cheaper, I, I think, um, than DSP will be. Uh, and it's not – I don't think he's going to be something where you have to sign any long-term deal. It's not going to be very, like, risky. We've seen Beagle for 10 years. DSP is known to be very inconsistent. So, And just showing up in the playoffs doesn't mean that you deserve a huge contract for being a fourth liner. Only thing I have to say to that, or a wrench in the machine, uh, to the other point of his question, is Devante Smith-Pelly is a restricted free agent and he is arbitration eligible. So just because July 1st hits uh, doesn't mean DSP is going to fly to another team. So I'd say... I would probably, I'd probably rather have Beagle as a player, but I'd almost say realistically I would see DSP as the one that's coming back, just because he'll be cheaper. And if we take him to arbitration, yes, he did phenomenally in the playoffs in terms of box score stats, uh, but he doesn't have much pull outside of that. He was just bought out, so we could probably get him to something that's pretty that's cheap. Also- yeah, that's actually a fair point. I didn't even know he was an RFA this season. Yeah, courtesy of catfriendly.com. <laughs> Got that little plug in there. So I guess moving on to uh, probably the biggest um, free agent and biggest name on the Capitals is John Carlson. Uh, at Chris Young 18 asked us, what's the max that we would pay Carlson? $8 million plus per season or more? And he compared him to Oliver Ekman-Larsen, and also uh, Dowdy as well. And then Eric Carlson as well, looking at probably more than 10, 10 mil a year after next season. So um, to answer that question, this would probably be a long topic, but there, there, this could go multiple ways, in my opinion. Like I think the Caps are going to absolutely focus on getting Carlson back, um, but it's going to be a hefty price that our cap space is not going to be able to handle very well, especially since... It seems like the cap is going to be around 79 to 80 million this year. Uh, a lot of people were banking on the 82 million, which it doesn't seem like it's happening. So, I mean, I, most of the season I was looking outside and saying that we should sign Mike Green again. I know people are going to hate me for that. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, if we could get Mike Green for a, a better deal than that, um, like I was thinking around like 4 million a year. I think he fills the role that John Carlson has on the on the power play, especially. And then uh, defensive-wise, John Carlson isn't the greatest. So Mike Green isn't too – like, he's not much worse than that. So I think for a $4 million less contract, that would be worth it to me. But I don't know if he would actually go that low to come back to Washington. So it seems like Carlson will probably be the best fit for us as long as we can afford the – what's probably going to be eight to nine million yeah, I think, um, dollar contract. I think the only thing that really, really kills me is, you know, a lot of that money is, is really going to be pulled from the point production. Yes. Um, which the point production is getting a huge aid from the power play. Um, which is very replaceable. Yeah, which that's pretty much exactly what I was going for. Is you have you have Alex Ovechkin from the OB spot. You got yep. Nicholas Backstrom and Kuznetsov working that half wall, and you got TJ Oshie in the slot. On the yeah. So I I don't want to say that. I mean Carlson. You know he. I, it, if if memory serves right, when Mike Green did finally part ways. Um, 
with the Capitals, I, I think John Carlson trying to fill his spot uh, and, and dish Ovi the puck, it, it was not pretty. Um, but to the other point, I don't think that he was ever incredibly phenomenal. I don't, I don't think that's, I don't think that's something that takes too much time to really figure out because you're, I mean, you're dishing Ovechkin the puck over and over and over again on that power play. Um, I, yeah, I, I agree completely. I just like for Chris's point, Oliver Ekman Larson deals eight and a half million. John Carlson is not an Oliver Ekman Larson by any means that, I just don't think they compare at all in terms of skill or even defensive skill. So personally, yeah, I don't think he deserves that type of money. Definitely not Eric Carlson money. I mean, what I think would be, it would be really nice if we could sign him for about six or six and a half million a year, but I know that's not going to happen. The max personally I'd be willing to pay is probably seven. Yeah. And, and if you look at, so John Carlson had uh, 31 even strength points out of his uh, 68 total points. So that, that whole stat there where he's leading the league uh, in defenseman points, you know, that's it's really nice to look at. But at the end of the day, I think it's just inflating his price. Um, I, I, the, the league's obviously trending towards a more expensive price tag for right defenseman. That's the other thing that sucks is where what is the market for right defenseman? The only player out in free agency right now or potentially out in free agency is Mike Green. There's nobody else that's really out there that's established with a running track record that could replace uh, Carlson even in the slightest at that right D position. Um, so I would I would say the max I would go for Carlson would probably be like seven and a half, maybe eight mil. I'm I'm sure eight mil is you know eight years, sixty four million. That would probably be the most realistic thing. Um, Another thing to realize is like if we if we do sign Carlson for eight mil, which is more than I would want, but I I'm, I guess I'm okay with, is that Brooks Orpik's deal ends next year, regardless of whether we buy him out this year, trade him, keep him. That's going to be a huge huge difference in cap space that we're going to get after this year. So that also plays a factor in the decision as well. I would say. Yeah, right now, um, so if you're looking at projected cap space let's say we get a a five million dollar cap bump uh without carlson's contract without any of the contracts factored in uh at the end of next season we'd have almost 30 million dollars to work with so you allocate say 8 million to carlson then you're still working with 22 million let's say you you throw three and a half over to wilson and you throw in like two million at kempney i mean we still have we'd still have quite a bit of wiggle room to you know and, and I'm, I'm a huge, uh, I, I, I hate bridge deals. Uh, I know they're safe in, in some respects, like, I guess, for example, Andre Burakovsky. Uh, I, I think he's a phenomenal player, but I definitely think the bridge deal is safe just a little bit uh, because he hasn't really played up to his fullest potential. But then you also have Jacob Rana, who, in my opinion, he's been phenomenal. I think he was fourth in the team in goals. So I'd, I'd rather extend him and... I think I think signing John Carlson uh, that would give us you know a set in stone cap hit. We wouldn't have to worry about re-signing somebody of his caliber in two seasons and figuring out how to fit him in. You'd have Dmitry Orlov for five more years. You have Carlson for you know eight more years. Um, and then you know Michael Kempney, 
I don't think he, he's another, you know, he's a DSP. He came in phenomenal in the playoffs. Don't really know how much he's going to pull, but he's a UFA. So that's where he's got more of a pull. Uh, Christian Juice, be able to pick up. But yeah, I, I guess to answer specifically, I would probably say seven and a half to eight million, uh, which can then kind of byline into. Uh, wasn't a question that was asked to us, but it was a topic we wanted to cover, and that was where will Philip Grubauer end up? And a lot of the main talks right now, uh, most of it being uh, New York Islanders. Um, I know Andy's a big fan of going to Carolina as well. That's another big name out there. Another name that like I feel like it actually hasn't been spoken of that much is Detroit, because they really have no one. They traded Peter Morazic this uh, trade deadline to the Flyers. So really all they're left with is Howard that I know of. So they could really go for a nice young goaltender right now to build their team around, which they don't really have any star players that we would get back in return. But I think a nice pick for Grubauer's rights is not a bad deal at all. And especially in a time where we're not getting too many good picks back for players like Marcus Johansson, if we can get a better position like we're in now, grabbing those picks while we can is pretty useful yeah i think you know and part of me really wants to get a, a body back i i want to have a I, i'd love to get get a player back for grubauer but you know i guess at the end of the day um getting a pick back that that would work just as fine too um i actually don't know where um where detroit is drafting uh so that kind of brings in um another element and i can try to figure out that right now on my yeah so detroit detroit is sixth picking sixth so that would be um that would be a pretty high pick to ask uh from them but i guess which if that's the case yeah i'm i'm guessing we wouldn't be getting a first from that there i don't think grubauer's rights are worth that much but a, a sixth pick in the second as long as they have a second round pick is pretty good deal i would say yeah i'd say uh, I, we would probably get more uh, than just a second but yeah so at, at that point and i think this is something you were kind of working with earlier uh if you can't get a first and you do settle for a second do you try to make them take on brooks Orpik's cap hit which the detroit red wings probably cannot handle uh let's no, that would be that would be more of another team's issue. Like I don't think New York has that much of a cap hit, and same with Carolina that I know of. Yeah, so New York and Carolina actually have the two lowest cap hits in the NHL. Um, New York has uh, quite a bit of contracts they need to sign. Carolina, on the other hand, does not. Um, so New York's looking at and and again. They've got John Tavares, uh, the million-dollar man. Everybody's wondering where he's going to go. Uh, if they don't sign him, then maybe it becomes easier to move Philip Grubauer and Brooks Orpik to the Islanders because all of a sudden they're not going to have an $11 million, $12 million contract on their books. But do you wait that long because then free agency opens and, and teams are probably you know scattered everywhere now instead of trying to figure out a deal before that? the kind of the floodgates open which like i was i was talking about earlier i would absolutely love to have i don't know how realistic this is but trading 
Grubauer's rights and Orpik over to the Islanders for Josh Hosang. God, that would be incredible. <laughs> yeah, I'm, and I mean, to be completely honest, I don't, I guess I don't know much. I know he's a relatively decent player. Um, and I don't know if I'm, I'm speaking lowly of him, but I, I don't know what they would think about returning a player of his caliber. Looks like he's only really gotten sparing shots uh, in the Islanders. It almost looks like it was hockey DB uh, profile. It looks like he started in the Islanders or on the Islanders at the beginning of the season and then got uh, got sent to Bridgeport where he was just about a half a half a point per game player. Uh, I don't know if the Islanders are in the ballpark of, of wanting to get rid of a player like that. Um, if they were to lose John Tavares, I'm sure they're looking to give up any of their offensive power, but uh, it would be would be something interesting to see because it's not you know it's it's not a player that you can immediately say would make an impact right away, um, but it's also not just a draft pick that you're banking on picking somebody that you'll develop correctly. Um, yeah, I mean another thing too to consider is that if um, and this is another topic of that we'll hit briefly is uh, Barry Trotz. If he becomes the head coach of the Islanders, we all know that he's absolutely obsessed with Brooks Orpik's play, his leadership, everything, <laughs> everything about Brooks or- Orpik is Barry Trotz. So that could play a factor as well. If he becomes the head coach of the Islanders, then that could pull Orpik in as well. So, yeah, that might be able to, uh, he might be able to vouch for him. Uh, you know, Barry doing us one last favor before, <laughs> we, we officially part ways, <laughs> but um, I guess so. So the two teams I think Ryan said earlier, the Islanders and the Hurricanes, are those are the ones that we've at least publicly seen to be, or I guess rumored to have been dealing with uh, trying to obtain Grubauer. And I am on the Carolina Hurricanes train like there is no tomorrow, uh, large in part. Because if we could find a way to get Justin Falk on this team, um, I, I I don't even know what I would do. I mean, uh, you could realistically, and, and working out the numbers, crunching the numbers, uh, imagine if you move a player like Grubauer um, and then found a way to shed Orpik's cap hit. I, I don't know if Justin Falk and... John Carlson together would be a possibility because folks making him miss a million dollars less than Orpic. Uh, you really try to, you really try to get up against the cap. Um, and then who knows? I mean, you know, Matt Niskin is a phenomenal player, but down the line, you have a 28 year old John Carlson, 26 year old Justin Falk. And yeah. try to find a way to move out. Niskanen, and you have those two as your right. Niskanen for... is definitely getting older and is not worth his contract anymore. So he's getting to the point where five point five million or whatever he is at this is not what he's worth. Yeah, I mean, I guess with the way the cap's moving, five seven five, uh, that's not terrible. I mean, he's thirty one years old, so eventually, and and again, another really interesting factor is. What happens when the expansion draft, which is inevitably happening, uh, takes place? Is that something that we can see as early as next season? No, they were saying, uh, so I believe they were saying at 2020 at the earliest is when that 2020 at the earliest? Yeah. So you'd have, you know, you'd have a, a Dimitri Orlov under contract. 
uh, you'd potentially have a John Carlson or another significant right defenseman under contract. I, I think Matt Niskanen uh, is the odd man out there, and, and he would be one to be let go. Uh, not so much let go, but to be exposed in the expansion draft. And I, I think a team would probably, I mean, pending a catastrophic collapse over these next two years, I think they'd be interested in him. Um, now, another interesting thing is that Justin Falk has two years left on his deal. So he would technically, I believe, not need to be protected by the Capitals if the expansion draft did take place in the year of 2020. Yes, that's very true. So, you know, you could focus on protecting the players, uh, you know, like a Dimitri Orlov, a Christian Juice, and then a John Carlson or a Michael Kempney, depending on what you what you do decide. But Speaking of which, let's talk about free agent Michael Kempney. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I want him back. I want him back uh, whatever. Well, I don't want to say whatever it takes, because if the guy starts asking for you know, unreasonably amounts of, or unreally amounts of money. I, I don't think I could say that I would give it to him. I don't think he can ask for that much. But yeah, I, I, I think, you know, he's he's 27 years old. Uh, he's never, I, I don't think he's ever really, and, and let me, I don't want to hold myself to this, but I think, yeah, this is only his second season in the NHL. Um, so he spent a lot of time uh, in the Czech, uh, Czech leagues and the KHL. So he, I guess he's finally established himself. I, again, I think it's a blessing in disguise that we got him from Chicago for just a third round draft pick, but he doesn't have much of a pool to say that I want, you know, three, Mm -hmm. $4 million. He wasn't even playing in Chicago at that point, which is why they traded him. Yeah. So uh, this season he has played a total of 53 games, uh, again, played phenomenally in the playoffs, but is this something where we can jump on him and say, all right, let's see if we can get him to, you know, maybe a two or three year deal for cheap. Cause even two or three years, I mean, that's covering the remainder of the backstrom of Etchkin, the Holtby contracts. And then you can really reassess at that point when I think it's going to be, I don't want to say a rebuild, but there's going to be definitely a significant turnover at that time. Yeah. I mean, I, I completely agree. I think the perfect deal would be, would be for Kempney to give him two and a half, for two or three years and that would be perfect because then we can actually evaluate his skills over the next two seasons and whether or not he's going to be staying with us or if he deserves a bigger contract after that that's for everyone to decide at that point yeah and i I think that would be the perfect perfect way to go about it um i guess the other uh free agent that is probably more of a focus uh hated by most but loved by caps fans uh is tom wilson so I think I think not so much the question of if he's coming back, but I think the question is how much. Yeah, how much and how and for how long? long. <laughs> yep. Future cap, future Capitals captain Tom Wilson. Yeah, I think you know, and again, this is another player where they are arbitration eligible. Now, do I want to take Tom Wilson to arbitration, or do I want to try and get a five-year deal uh, for cheap? Yeah, yeah. Five-year deal, all I the would, way. I would Five-year deal. Yeah, I sign that man. I don't know. To me, when he got that two two-year two million dollar extension, at the time I was saying, "Wow, that's too much money. Why are you giving it to this guy?" Um, we talked, yeah. we talked so much trash about that deal 
literally, it, it was unbelievable how much trash we talked about Tom Wilson when he signed that deal, but it ended up being so worth it that yeah, so, we kind of ate our shoes on that one. So the, the question is now, is is he going to, because he still hasn't necessarily, I mean, he had, so he had 35 points this year, which is, I mean, that's a career year, it's a phenomenal year. Is he going to be okay with taking a five-year extension, or is he going to say to himself, let me play another full season with, you know, the two of the best Russians in the NHL, if I solidify my spot and if I have a breakout year and hit 50 or 60 points, I mean, that is a huge payday for him. Uh, so part of me wonders if uh, not that the Caps will go to arbitration, but if Tom Wilson himself would want to go to arbitration. Um, I think it depends on if he wants job security or if he wants a big payday or not. Yeah, because at this point, I, I, I feel like he's got job security. I, I mean, he's almost... Pardon my French, but he's got the Capitals by the ass because they love him. I mean, he could—he he, was—he was doing almost essentially nothing the past few seasons, and the Capitals, I, not even a sniff at potentially trading him. He was just on the team regardless of what happened. Yeah. Uh, so I would—I mean, me personally, and I, I think you were kind of mentioning it too. I try to lock him up for four to five years. If we could sign him to something similar to what Lars Eller got. You know that five years, three and a half. I think that would be uh, a phenomenal decision, uh, even if he's not the one that's really driving the play. I mean, you've got Ovechkin and Kuznetsov, so it's kind of hard to tell if Wilson's really yeah. a big part of yeah. of what's moving that line. Although I can say, not necessarily that line, but in general, whatever line Tom Wilson was on the season, it's kind of instantly got better. Which I don't know if it was just because of Tom Wilson's play, but he he did fix most of the lines when he was deployed there, so that's that's also a plus for him. I mean, my my preference would be like if we gave him a four by four or four by five. I think that I mean a three by a three point five would be great, but I realistically I'm thinking like a four million four four year deal or five year deal, and I would be perfectly okay with that. Yeah, and I think I would too. I I think again that's a little a little scary to pay that upfront money because again he hasn't necessarily shown the consistent offensive power that he has this season, but I think since, I, since he was deployed correctly, um, he's, he's shown pretty much that he can do it ever since that he's not just a goon anymore. And ever since he kind of made that personal change or the coaching staff made that change, he's, he's reduced pretty well. And even if he hasn't actually scored the points, he's definitely driven play and he's definitely made those shots. He gets in there. He's dirty. Like, he, it's just good all around to me. Besides the suspensions and the random fights that he still gets in. So yeah, and I'm 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 totally on board with that. Uh, and then I guess the only other uh, the only other free agent we were really looking to talk about right now uh, would be Jacob Jerebek. Um, Jerebek, Jerebek, whatever it is. Yeah, Jerebek, Jerebek, uh, Jer, as I like to call him. <laughs> <laughs> I I think he's he's another he's another questionable guy, and that's what's interesting. Um, that, that's what's interesting about the done acquisitions that Brian McClellan got uh, this past year is Michael Kempney had his first season in the NHL was 2016-17, uh, and uh, Jerbeck his first season was this past year. So he, he's been taking. There's, there must be something that he saw 
in these players because uh, they have a storied history playing in the Czech elite leagues. Uh, and, and you come over here and you get these players that could barely make their NHL rosters. Uh, I, I personally, I liked what I saw from Jarabek, the, the little bit that I did. I don't think he's a player that I'd like to give up on yet, especially because he's got essentially no pull uh, in contract negotiations. I don't think people are knocking on his door offering him millions of dollars. So I agree, especially, I mean, he was on our roster and he didn't play for most of the playoffs, so he doesn't really have anything to back up pulling any more money. I mean, I would honestly say sign him for a two-year deal like we kind of we did with Taylor Chorney, rest in peace. I just had to bring that up. And just give him, <laughs> give him a two-year deal for basically what he made now. Just pay him nine hundred twenty-five grand and see yeah. what he does. Give him a, yeah. give him a shot. I, I think he's <clears throat> he's a lefty, uh, but one thing that I – I haven't forgotten uh, when he did get traded over here. The first thing that I saw about him was that he is used to playing on his off hand or his off side. So he is used to playing in a, a right D position, uh, which again, that's the common topic is it's very hard to come across the right D. Uh, if you look at what we have now, we have Matt Niskanen as our only signed right defenseman. Uh, John Carlson obviously being the other one. And our third in the lineup would be uh, Madison Bowie, which I won't get into him, but I don't really want him there. Um, so, yeah, I would, I guess, long story short, I would just, I, I would take him to your deal, see what he can do. And so to kind of end this, uh, end the, this episode of the podcast, we have, like I said earlier, a bunch of questions that some people that follow us on Twitter asked us to, uh, to answer. And we'll start off with some of the random ones first. Um, and I can personally answer this one from at SeanCaps8. Why didn't I go to his birthday? Sean, I am deeply sorry that I wasn't able to make it. My flight was delayed and came in late. And then my girlfriend's brother got injured, so I had to go and take care of that with her so once again i'm sorry and happy birthday and congrats on the caps parade on your birthday that's better you than know, me have being you know there anyway. that i i let him know early that i could not make it um because i'm a good friend so <laughs> uh i guess moving on to another question uh we have two from a man named uh ovechka and then it's a line and then the n um <laughs> <laughs> Uh, would you rather relive the same day for 365 days or lose a year of your life? If that day is June 7th of 2018, I will live that day for every year for the rest of my life. Yeah, I think that was a pretty easy question. You know, if uh, if he said, would you rather relive uh, the Capitals getting eliminated by, I don't know, the Rangers or the Penguins? Uh, or lose a year of your life. I'd, I'd almost argue that I'd like to just, you know, lose a year. I don't want to. I don't want to go through that. Um, yeah, I would. I'm, I'm. I'm with you. I would just. I would choose to relive that fateful day. Thanks for the question, dear. <laughs> uh, and and bylining into uh, another. I don't know if it's a question. I, it's just he said smoothies. Um, so I think I actually. Uh, uh, he, he talked to me earlier 
uh, earlier in the week, we were talking about what our favorite smoothies were, and he said his favorite smoothie was the Killer Bee. So I think I actually found the site or the store that sells these smoothies, uh, the Jungle Juice Bar, and I, I believe they are actually based out of Finland. Um, looking at these smoothies, uh, we have L Toucan, which is mango, strawberry, and banana. I'm, I'm thinking that would be uh, one of the quickest ways to my heart. I don't know about you, Ryan. Are you even a smoothie fan? Oh, I love smoothies. I personally hate banana. I think it's one of the worst foods out there, to be mm -hmm. honest. Continue. Uh, most people hate me for that, but, you know, <laughs> uh, anything else? Basically, yeah, I love smoothies. Just don't put a banana in it. All also, right. uh, sorry for butchering your name. I'm pretty sure it's Jerry or something along those lines. It's uh, – Jacob Jarabek. That was from, that was from question. Uh, question was from Jacob Jarabek. Uh, I'm waiting so, American for that. So, so do we even um, attempt to talk about this, this next question that we have? Okay, so Silver Ice 92 asked us about, and I'm going to completely butcher this name, but I'm just going to go right through it. Uh, Miserak Hani's uh, contribution to the dynamics and geometry of Ryman services and their moduli spaces. So, Andy and I, fun fact, are both engineers, and we both are in the process of getting our master's uh, in engineering, yet I don't think either of us could go into this topic because we would just look like absolute fools more than we already do. So, <laughs> I think with that, thanks for the question, but we'll just move on to the uh, French Revolution. <laughs> yeah, uh, shout out to, uh, I believe her first name's uh, Miriam, so shout out to her, because she did something that I would never be able to do. <laughs> so uh at decrev9 asked us about the french Revolution. that's the way i always said it uh, i don't know killed him what is it? oh dc rev <laughs> yes uh, i'm so bad we're back i'm awful so yes about the french revolution which i don't really know much about yeah again so uh what i'm gonna do is a little segment i like to call read line for line off of wikipedia um so it says, the causes of the French Revolution are complex and still debated among historians. And I'm already getting bored, so I'm just going to control F and search for Napoleon, which you can probably hear from the sound <laughs> of my computer. Didn't find anything. Uh, but no, it is right here. Uh, so Napoleon, um, Napoleon Bonaparte, he was, how tall was he? He was, he was like five foot tall. Um, Napoleon Dynamite was a good movie. Yeah. Uh, so, the French Revolution involved Napoleon, and that is about as detailed as I'm going to get with that one. Which is not the same as Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah, that is, that is not the same. Um, so, that being said, uh, I guess we wanted to keep this at 30 minutes, and we're at 40 minutes and 8 seconds, so we are right on schedule. Yeah, so let's finish these last couple questions, which are actually hockey-related. We'll fly through these. So... We have one question that is directed to Andy, and that is who his new favorite Caps player is going to be. And that is related because Taylor Chorney is no longer on the Caps, which also relates to Burakowski's question that says Taylor Chorney, just straight up Taylor Chorney, and KSTAR0025, a.k.a. Andy's sister, is Chorney real? So, um, Taylor Chorney is definitely real. I have touched him uh, at uh, so far, I've, it's it's up to three times. Um, 
uh, Taylor Chorney uh, is a phenomenal man, and I don't know if I will ever be able to replace him. Uh, I was speaking with a friend earlier, and he mentioned uh, taking Chandler Stevenson as my new favorite player. And, and I don't know, I, I, I feel like people like him too much, and I have a problem with that, because only I can like my favorite player, um, unless I tell you to like him. Stevenson's so, already mine. I took him in training camp a few years ago. Yeah, and I'm I'm totally on board with that. Uh, so so I'm 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 personally I think what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna hold out, and if uh, Jacob Jarabek gets re-signed, I I might I might jump on that train because you know a good solid defenseman clearly has been the way to my heart. But see, here's the thing though. Taylor Chorney is a free agent, and deep down, we need to hope that Taylor Chorney returns to Washington, regardless of what he's being paid. And how, whether or not he's going to play, he needs to come back to Washington. Yeah, think, Taylor Chorney, if you were somehow listening to this podcast, please come back. Yes, please come back. Uh, we don't need John Carlson, honestly. I don't even know if you're a right D, but... 8x8. Uh, John Chorney, 8x8. One-way deal. Uh all right, so I think we have, and I'll just two questions left. Two questions left. Yeah, we got, and these are these are both from Queen, at Queen D, and so the first one is, <laughs> as the league has cracked down on cheating in the faceoff dot, do you see wingers practicing taking faceoffs rising? And if so, do you think enough that we will see two D men and two wingers out on during a PK? Um, I I think. And, and I Isn't think it usually two D men and two wingers out on PK? Um, I would say I think she's I think she's more focusing on would you ever have two wingers out there? Um, I think two D is a given, but I think the question is would you ever not have a center out on a penalty kill? Um, oh, gotcha. I don't gotcha. think a team would ever get that ballsy. Uh, I mean, you have you have a winger, even if a winger has experience taking face-offs they're never going to have quite the volume that a center is going to get just because a center is going to get you know 10 to 20 face-offs on a nightly basis um to the other centers are usually more well-rounded in their play compared to wingers anyway yeah which is why they're going to be in there regardless yeah i i think i think it's probably just the question is if if you have two wingers that are phenomenal penalty killers do you take the risk of putting both of them out there during a face-off um, and hoping that they can win that face-off back because if they can if they can win the face-off, you know, they, they can perform the job of killing the penalty. Um, but I, I would I would say no. Uh, however, I do see um, the possibility of wingers taking uh, taking more face-offs in practice. I don't I don't personally know how much they do already, um, but if face-offs and in the beginning of the season they were they were really anal about people false starting on a face-off. I know they kind of calm down, um, but I don't think it hurts to have a winger with the face-off ability. Agreed. So the second question from her is, in your opinion, why do teams' uh, top power plays only have one D-man? I'm focusing mainly on teams that have very solid D-men, like Nashville and Boston. If they have two offensive D-men with a great shot, why not use both on the power play? One could be the fourth forward, especially if the D-men are better than the fourth forward. So I actually don't really have an opinion on that because I, I guess in my opinion, usually the forwards are better or I guess quicker with the puck than defensemen. That's really the only thing that I can think of. Um, 
Yeah, so my my thought there's on not, that... There's not many teams that would be good with that, I would think, besides the team yeah, that she mentioned. Yeah, I think so. you have, you know, Nashville's got Subban, Yossi, Ekholm, Brian Ellis. They're all, you know, phenomenal players. Um, but to me, when you're, when you're on the power play, you really want to get in the goalie's grill and you want to get traffic in front of the net. So if you have two defensemen that are just kind of playing the point, um, you, you're really taking away you're taking away the ability to stand in front of that net and get in the goalie's face. So I guess imagine if you have 2D at the point and they're passing it back and forth, you'd probably really only have one forward that's just constantly shifting back and forth, and then the three offensive forwards would probably be shadowed one-on-one um, with the the remaining penalty killers. Uh, I guess you could also think of it in terms of minutes as well. Um, because D-men, especially the top D-men, are playing really, really heavy loads in games. So if you're keeping them out there during just normal 5v5, you're keeping them out there during the PK especially, but having them on the uh, power play may just completely tire them out and it may not be worth it because i know me being out of shape and everything <laughs> that would be a great time to rest my my top d men and save them for other times of the yeah of the match, I, I think so. um it, it's hard because you look at you look at nashville and they have uh ryan johansson philip forsberg kyle turris victor arvidson um players like that kevin fiala i got tolvainen who's just coming in i, I think it'd be hard to not throw out all of your offensive powerhouses uh, at once, but I, I I don't I don't see an issue with playing two defensemen, and I've I've personally I've talked about this topic exhaustedly, <laughs> but I, I would say the biggest thing is, and I agree with what you're saying is forwards are a little bit more uh, swift on their feet, and I think they can get to the net. You know, they hover around the net a little bit more, so it causes the the penalty kill to collapse and, and it opens up that one single point shot. Um, yeah, so that's, that's kind of my thought on that. Um, I mean, we do have we do yeah. have one more. Uh, I guess that's all we have for today. There was a photo sent to us by Burakovsky. Uh, Burakovsky. Uh, it's a picture of <laughs> Andre Burakovsky. Uh, he's sitting in a chair. He's got shorts that are, uh, they seem a little too short. Um, and they're exposing his ghost white calves or thighs. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, a lot of thigh. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of thigh showing. He's out, he's in like a what looks like a sunroom yeah, on a looks, wicker looks happy. chair, and he looks like a man that possibly won a Stanley Cup. So. He also looks like a man that he's doing. He also looks like a man that's doing his best to uh, assimilate into American culture uh, and doing <laughs> a very bad job at it. <laughs> very true. Uh, so I guess oh. that being said, I think that pretty much covers everything. Uh, everything that we wanted to cover. Again, this is our first podcast, so we're doing our best. Um, please tell us Sorry, how much okay. you hate us and. Uh, tell us everything that we've done wrong and what we'd like us to change. Um, 
And yeah, keep keep sending questions, or we'll come up with our own questions and force you to listen to stuff that you don't want to hear. Andy and I can talk forever, so it's very easy to do that. Yeah, again, our 30-minute podcast, that's now at 48 minutes and 59 seconds. You know, we're right on schedule. <laughs> so, uh, again, I think, what did we call ourselves? Yeah, minor league banter. That's what we are, because we're minor league players. <laughs> and the comments we give are minor league comments. And all banter. Yes, it's all banter. Don't take anything. Don't take anything seriously. So yeah, thanks for listening. Hope to uh, hope we didn't bore you, and hope we get you guys listening to the next episode.